My name is Bill Munhausen, and I'm the director of a community center called Key Gathering Place in Lake of the Ozarks in central Missouri. God has equipped all of us to speak life into our communities, and this program will be a forum for people to share as God builds his kingdom among us. Hi, this is Bill talking to you from beautiful Lake of the Ozarks. The Lord has called me to be quiet for a while, and and the reason for that is is that we're called as believers to edify and clarify things, not just to contribute to the noise. And certainly we've come off a season of a lot of noise, a lot of opinions being expressed, a lot of political stuff going on, Uh, of course the coronavirus pandemic taking place and all the controversy about face masks and shutdowns and it's just been a a time to hang back and see what the Lord is speaking to us and the time now is to address all of these things all at one time. First of all, all of the issues facing us are spiritual in nature. These are not just politics, political things, opinions, um, It's not just about the social condition of America. There is something deeply at the root of this that is spiritual. Some people say that anything you want to know you can learn from Star Trek. And certainly I've been thinking lately about that great scene from the Star Trek movies where Spock sacrificed his life to save the Enterprise. And I'll probably misquote this, but... I think the sentiment he expressed was that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. And on that basis, that sense that the collective was more important than him is how he sacrificed his life. And it's a very noble thing. We admire Spock because of it. But Captain Kirk kind of flipped that on on its ear. He came back and said, sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And the crew of the Enterprise, that that core group of McCoy and um, Scotty and them, they all got together and decided to rescue their friend Spock. They basically put into action the idea that the needs of the one outweighed their personal safety. And this is the great spiritual conflict of our time. It's a conflict between whether the collective society at large is most important or whether every individual matters. The God of the Bible wants to save every individual. Second Peter 3, 9 reads, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but as is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's a message of the importance of the individual. We, we sometimes say that scripture is all about God, all about Jesus Christ, but it's as much about man because God has given man a choice and every individual is, is expected to make that choice and God's wish is that every individual choose wisely. And of course we know that's not true. Uh, it's not true that every individual chooses wisely. What the left in America wants to do is try to put the needs of the collective at a higher point than the needs of that individual that God loves so much. And that is really the spiritual battle. Are we ants in an anthill, or are we individual men and women who have intrinsic value because we're made in God's image and we're part of God's plan for the world to reach salvation? 
I began thinking on these things in earnest because of my grandson, when in a conversation he expressed the idea that maybe socialism isn't so bad. Now, according to conventional wisdom, since I'm a political conservative, that would make my grandson my enemy. But of course, that isn't true. I love him, and I think he loves me, and we always strive to have these good conversations about the issues. But I guess what, where we've been talking past each other is we never really address the core issue. We tend to think of capitalism against socialism and that those are the two alternatives. But really the issue underlying all of this is the value and worth of the individual compared to the value and worth of government, society, and the collective. Which thing has to give? One of the reasons socialism is so attractive to our idealistic young people is it sounds very generous, very um, altruistic, that we're willing to lay aside our privileges to see the betterment of the community. It's a good thing. It's a noble-sounding thing. It's like Spock dying to save the crew of the Enterprise. Young people don't view socialism through the lens of the Cold War like our generation did. Instead, they see the possibilities of a system that is less competitive and less cutthroat than the um, capitalist society we live in. They want something more peaceful without all of this striving that characterizes a competitive society. And I understand that completely, and we ought to be more sympathetic to that. What we do need to explain, though, is that there is a cost to putting society's needs above your own, that there is something lost in terms of the nobility of the individual, where the individual at some point no longer matters if the needs of society seem greater to whoever decides that. Because ultimately somebody must decide. Somebody must assert their ideas of what's important to society, and that goes against your individual freedom. And who is going to be wise and noble enough to lead that kind of a socialistic society? That is the big issue facing us in the 20, 21st century. We tend to just put labels on it. We say it's capitalism versus socialism when it's something far more profound and far more personal than that. It's the issue of individual freedom. It's been said that every person has a God-shaped hole in their spirit. It's another way of saying that human beings need something to believe in outside of themselves. Oh, some time ago, many decades ago, when a larger portion of the society began to lose their faith in God, they needed to invent a new deity. And that new deity became government. It became the collective organization of people. If they couldn't depend on God for salvation, for purpose, for provision, they chose government. And uh, we, we label that socialism, some people call it communism, communal living, totalitarianism, fascism, whatever you want to call it. It's the creation of a kind of an artificial supreme being. And that supreme being has to have complete domination of the individual, just like um, if we're to be perfectly honest with ourselves, 
in uh, Christianity. We have a supreme being that is all-powerful and determines all things. The problem with government as a supreme being is that it's run by individuals. And as we know as believers in God, individuals are sinners. There is no exception. So, so it always devolves to some kind of personal self-interest that drives the, de the decisions of our decision-makers in government. And unlike God, who is merciful, those leaders in government aren't always so. Marxism is filled with the history of great persecutions, millions of people dead because of individuals in government asserting their power and authority. It's just the way things happen when you entrust everything to man. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm really not trying to accuse socialists at this point. I'd rather say that socialists come from the place of a good heart, an altruistic heart. People who want to see good in the world, but they don't realize the spiritual Pandora's box they're opening when they unleash an elite group of leaders to run the affairs of every individual and, by necessity, undermining the individual freedoms and therefore the dignity of individual man. They don't understand the implication of what they're unleashing. But without God, they have no choice because they need a God. They need a supreme authority to appeal to. On the political scene, we have this conflict between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans are the party of God-believers, and generally speaking, the Democrats are the unbelievers. And so the Democrats believe in a large governing structure to control all things. And the Republican Party is rapidly evolving into the party of individualists, people who want to see freedom reign. There is no reconciliation between these parties. There's no longer such a thing as politicians proverbially reaching across the aisle to compromise with their... Um, fellows in the other party. These are two opposing religious views. These are two opposing societal views. There is no reconciling them. There is no compromise that makes sense. These are two opposing forces. There's a tendency that I've seen recently where people, especially um, conservatives, want to say that both parties are equally bad, that even though they're against the Democrats, the Republicans are never quite doing what they're supposed to be doing either, and that there's corruption on both sides. It's in one sense true, but it's in another sense really the wrong message to give. Really, if you are a conservative American who values individual liberty, you have no choice but to oppose what the Democrat Party has become. I say that as a former Democrat. I'm like Ronald Reagan. I didn't leave the party. They left me. But right now, they are representing, I wouldn't say so much evil as a misconception about God from a spiritual point of view. They think that government can do all the things that we believe God provides. And I understand that we can't force them to be believers, and they can't force themselves to be believers in God, so they have little choice but to follow their course. But that just makes them people we must oppose. We are not just as bad as them. We are spiritually, fundamentally different from them. So we might as well not keep on sending that mixed message. In our community, there's a growing group of parents who are in conflict with the local public school district 
over the various kinds of uh, rules that the district makes and the way they manage that things and the way they don't communicate clearly and the various orders related to the shutdown. It reflects this conflict between the individual and the collective. These parents think that the public school is there to benefit parents and students, but in fact the public school system is its own separate entity. It's run by a group of elites. It's run for the benefit of the majority, and in a sense the public school district itself is the ultimate majority. And as long as what they think they're doing is for the benefit of most people, they don't seem to have a real concern for the parents and students that fall through the cracks. And um, that's the essential issue before us is, does the individual matter? Does each person in the school matter? Do their opinions matter? Or are we just going to let the school be run by a group of especially uh, trained people who think they have all the right answers? And that is the struggle going on with schools. And of course, we all know about the shutdowns across the country that have been implemented by healthcare professionals. And again, that goes right back to uh, the conflict between the collective and the individual. Do we allow healthcare professionals to manage their system in such a way that it disregards the needs of individuals? Do we force everybody to wear a mask? Or do we allow individuals the freedom to choose whether to wear a mask or not? Do we arbitrarily say where they can, where they must wear a mask or when they must wear a mask? Or do we let people make sound judgment? The collective by its nature can't trust the individual to make good decisions. The collective wants to turn it all back to a central authority to make such decisions and everyone must comply. And the reason everyone must comply is their compliance or lack of compliance can affect the health of other people. In a way, it's very understandable that we'd care how individuals function because it might impact other people. But in a great sense, in a free society, it tears down the rights and the dignity of the individual. And we really haven't figured out how to manage that dichotomy between authority and the individual. And of course, we have the more traditional conflicts between government and, and the individual regarding imminent domain. Should the government have the right to seize your property? If government sees a better use for your property, maybe for a, a public parking area near a public park. It used to be that we could trust the courts and other avenues of appeal to regulate those conflicts between government and, and the individual. But that's all broken down as more and more people have abandoned God and have aligned their spiritual connection with government. We're less likely to trust government to make sound decisions, at least from our perspective. We're more likely to see government as self-serving, as government officials, as being corrupt, and uh, people who just want to take for potentially for the public good, but take nonetheless. We no longer have faith in government to make fair and equitable decisions. And as that distrust of government increases, we have yet greater conflict between the socialists and the free enterprise people, the people who have aligned themselves with big government and those who still want to stand up for the rights and freedoms of the individual. That conflict is going to become worse.
And more and more people are talking about things like seceding from the federal government, state secession, and even civil war is something that is being talked about as a possibility. Perhaps the greatest problem I have in talking with my grandson about socialism, or anyone might have talking with anyone who is attracted to socialism, is that we tend to give rational arguments to what is essentially an issue of the heart. The leftist advocates of socialism are godless. They have no choice but to pursue solutions that are based in some kind of collective action rather than the providence of God. We, on the other hand, need to put our Christian principles in the center of it. The founders of America recognized this. They invented a form of government that recognized the sinfulness of man by creating a system of checks and balances so that nobody could gain too much power. But they also recognized that they needed to call on the providence of God in times of crisis. We need to make it clear that that's the starting point of the political argument. That's the starting point of the social and economic argument. Do we believe that the individual working in freedom under the guidance of God can solve the world's problems? So far, America has shown evidence that that is true, and it's unfortunate that we've allowed the educational establishment to undermine that confidence that should be ours, that we are able to solve the world's problems. We can take people to the moon. We have raised more people out of poverty in the last century than at any other time in history. The world has seen an explosion of progress, thanks to free enterprise and thanks to biblical principles. When that truth is revealed, socialism becomes a solution in search of a problem. The individual has to be supreme. If we elevate the freedom of every individual person, we automatically take care of the collective to the best of our ability. Just as God wants every person to be saved, we want every person to be taken care of, but only in the context of individual freedom. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, go out and do good.